Chapter eighty seven of the Scottish Chiefs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Cole. The Scottish Chiefs by Miss Jane Porter. Chapter eighty seven. Scotland, Dumfries. About the hour of twilight, on the tenth day after Bruce had cast his last look on the capital of England, that scene of his long captivity under the spell of delusion, that theatre of his family's disgrace, of his own eternal regrets, he crossed the little stream which marked the oft-contended barrier-land of the two kingdoms. He there checked the headlong speed of his horse, and having alighted to give it breath, walked by its side, musing on the different feelings with which he now entered Scotland, from the buoyant emotions with which he had sprung on its shore at the beginning of the year. These thoughts, as full of sorrow as of hope, had not occupied him long when he espied a man in the red Cummins colours speeding toward the south. He guessed him to be some new messenger of the regent to Edward, and throwing himself before the horse, caught it by the bridle, then coolly commanded its rider to deliver to him the dispatches which he carried to the King of England. The man refused, and striking his spurs into the beast, tried to trample down his assailant. But Bruce was not to be put from his aim. The manner of the Scot convinced him that his suspicions were right, and putting forth his nervous arm, with one action he pulled the messenger from his saddle, and laid him prostrate on the ground. Again he demanded the papers. "'I am your prince,' cried he, "'and by the allegiance you owe to Robert Bruce, "'I command you to deliver them into my hands. "'Life shall be reward, immediate death the punishment of your obstinacy.' In such an extremity the man did not hesitate, and taking from his bosom a sealed packet, immediately resigned it. Bruce ordered him to stand before him till he had read the contents. Trembling with terror of this formidable freebooter, for he placed no belief in the declaration that he was the Prince of Scotland, the man obeyed, and Bruce, breaking the seals, found, as he expected, a long epistle from the regent, urging the sanguinary aim of his communications. He reiterated his arguments for the expediency of speedily putting Robert Bruce to death. He represented the danger that there was in delay, lest a man so royally descended and so popular as he had become, since it was now publicly understood that he had already fought his country's battles under the name of Sir Thomas de Longueville, should find means of replacing himself at the head of so many zealots in his favour. These circumstances so propitious to ambition, and now adding personal revenge to his former boldness and policy, would at this juncture, should he arrive in Scotland, turn its growing commotions to the most decisive uses against the English power. The regent concluded with saying that the lords Loch Douglas and Ruthven were come down from the highlands with a multitudinous army to drive the Southerns 
garrisons and to repossess themselves of the fortresses of Stirling and Edinburgh, that Lord Bothwell had returned from France with the real Sir Thomas de Longueville, a knight of great valiancy, and that Sir Roger Kirkpatrick, having massacred half the English castellans in the border counties, was now lying at Torthorald, ready to commence his murderous reprisals through the coasts of Galloway. For himself, come and told the king, he had secretly removed to the Franciscan monastery at Dumfries, where he should most anxiously await his majesty's pardon and commands. Bruce closed the packet. To prevent his discovery being betrayed ere he was ready to act, he laid his sword on the shoulder of the man. "'You are my prisoner,' said he, "'but fear not. I only mean to hold you in safety till your master has answered for his treason.' The messenger thought, whoever this imperious stranger might be, that he saw a truth in his eyes which ratified this assurance, and without opposition he walked before him till they stopped at Torthorold. Night had closed in when Bruce sounded his bugle under the walls. Kirkpatrick answered from the embrasure over the Barbican gate, with a demand of who desired admittance. "'Tis the avenger of Sir William Wallace,' was the reply. The gates flew open at the words, and Kirkpatrick, standing in the archway amid a blaze of torches, received his guest with a brave welcome. Bruce spoke no more till he entered the banqueting hall. Three other knights were seated by the table. He turned to Kirkpatrick. "'My valiant friend,' said he, "'order your servants to take charge of yon Scot,' pointing to the messenger of Cummin. "'Until I command his release, let him be treated with the lenity which shall ever belong to a prisoner of Robert Bruce.' As he spoke he threw up his visor, and Kirkpatrick, who had heard that the supposed de Longueville was his rightful prince, now recognized the well-known features of the brave foreigner in the stranger before him. Not doubting the verity of his words, he bent his knee with a homage due to his king, and in the action was immediately followed by Sir Eustace Maxwell, Sir James Lindsay, and Adam Fledding, who were the other knights present. "'I come,' cried the prince, "'in the spirit of my heart's sovereign and friend, "'the now immortal Wallace, "'to live or to die with you "'in the defence of my country's liberties. "'With such assistance as yours, "'his invincible coadjutors, "'and with the blessing of heaven on our arms, "'I hope to redeem Scotland "'from the disgrace which her late horrible submission "'to the tyrant has fastened on her name.' The transgressions of my house have been grievous, but the, that last deadly sin of my people called for an expiation awful indeed, and it came in the moment of guilt, in their crime they received punishment. They broke from their side the arms which alone had rescued them from their enemies. I now come to save them from themselves. Their having permitted the sacrifice of the rights of my family was the first injury committed on the Constitution, and it prepared a path for the ensuing tyranny which seized upon the kingdom. But, by resuming these rights, which is now my firm purpose, 
I open to you a way to recover our hereditary independence. The direful scene just acted on the Tower Hill of London, that horrible climax of Scottish treason, must convince every reasonable mind that all the late misfortunes of our country have proceeded from the base jealousies of its nobles. There, then, let them die, and may the grave of Wallace be the tomb of dissension. Seeing where their own true interests point, surely the brave chieftains of this land will rally round their lawful prince, who here declares he knows no medium between death and victory. The spirit with which this address was pronounced, the magnanimity it conveyed, assisted by the graces of his youth and noble deportment, struck the hearts of its auditors, and aroused in double figure the principles of resentment to which the first tidings of their heroic countryman's fate had given birth. Kirkpatrick needed no other stimulus than his almost idolatrous memory of Wallace, and he listened with an answering ardour to Bruce's exhortation. The prince next disclosed to his now zealously pledged friends the particulars of the Red Cummins' treachery. "'He now lies at Dumfries,' cried Kirkpatrick. "'Thither, then, let us go, and confront him with his treason. "'When falsehood is to be confounded, "'it is best to grapple with a sorceress in the moment of detection. "'Should we hesitate, she may elude our grasp.' "'Dumfries was only a few miles distant, "'and they might reach its convent before the first matins. "'Fatigue was not felt by Bruce when in pursuit of a great object.' and after a slight refreshment, he and his four determined friends took horse. As they anticipated, the midnight bell was ringing for prayers when the troops stopped at the Franciscan gate. Lindsay, having been in the Holy Land during the late public struggles, alleged business with the abbot and desired to see him. On the father's bidding the party welcome, Bruce stepped forward and addressed him. Reverend Sir, I come from London. I have an affair to settle with Lord Badenoch, 